Radio Lockdown is a Neptune podcast. I don't want to set a precedent on this podcast, but I am a smidge hungover today, Justin. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Let's let's not set that precedent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's never happened before, and I don't want it to be like a pattern or something. That would be uh You wouldn't that would want to establish it now. Maybe, maybe some lifestyle choices I should uh, change. Anyway... <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. Let's no. not get too into that. Lifestyle change on this podcast? That doesn't sound like a thing we would talk about. Oh, dear. So, I've been all right. How have you been? That's good. I am glad that you're doing well. Uh, oh, I didn't am... say that. I said all right. Let's not okay, go nuts. all right. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm glad that you're doing fine, that you're coping, that you're surviving. Uh-huh. Uh, one might say thriving. No, I, would, no, I won't say that, but you might mm-hmm. want to say that. I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing all right. Just at the end of my first week of uni, studying all of that online. So that's been very interesting. I am not used to being a student. As it turns out, I haven't been a student for five years. So being back to it is confronting. Mm. And it's all online as well. So lots of very intensive, like, Group work assignments over Zoom is not my favourite time. Ugh. Group assignments suck anyway. Yeah, you yeah. add Zoom into it. Did I bring oh. this up last time? I had, in my first week of classes, I had a group work assignment where we had to write a tweet as a group of five of us, and my mic and video was not working, so I couldn't actually communicate. <laughs> It is maybe the most painful exercise I've I've done in a in a very long time, notwithstanding all of the, you know, research into a horrible deadly virus. So apart from that, yeah, everything's mm-hmm. been going swimmingly. Uh I talked last time on the podcast about doing a crossword solution thingamawatsit. Mm-hmm. That's now happening. I'm going to be doing that as a live stream. So this will come out on Friday. So the Monday afterwards, I'll be running the live stream. I haven't actually announced it, but it will be announced by the time this comes out. <laughs> I believe in you. You yeah. got this. Yeah. So on top of everything else, um, I've decided that I'm going to run a really chill a stream event, which is going to be me explaining the setting and solving of cryptic crosswords. Yeah, they would be helpful. I'm bad at them. Well, then you should come along and participate on Twitch. It's like 40 fucking riddles. It's essentially that. I don't like one riddle. <laughs> I like knowing words, which is crosswords, not knowing the answers to fucking riddles, which is some goddamn bullshit. Cryptic crosswords are knowing words plus knowing puns so it is the intersection of both of my two interests yeah how some people get really excited about escape rooms and they're like yeah it'll be really fun we'll be locked in a place with a bunch of riddles it's like it's (laughs) it's nightmarish they're just like oh it has a horror element you like that stuff darcy the horror for me is trapped timed doing riddles this isn't Road of Rin. It sucks. Your your main problem is just social interaction in a riddle-based setting. Uh, <laughs> like pub quizzes, do you have a similar issue? Love pub quizzes because, I mean, first of all, there's, you know, no time limits. Not really. There's no one there being like, tick, 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 tick. You're exiting this room depends on you answering this. I'm not locked in a pub doing trivia. That's true. If you run out, you don't get told you can't answer the next question. Yeah, okay. Yeah, in a puzzle room, I suppose, every riddle determines whether you get to move on to the next riddle. That's not true in a cryptic crossword, though. In a cryptic, you can just skip the skip that one and move on. Yeah, I still hate riddles. <laughs> Which is why cryptics are better than escape rooms. They take away one of your basic human rights, the freedom of movement. <laughs> and they're like, your, your rights now depend on you solving riddles. 
take that stupid no mask wearing woman put her in an escape room and oh wait that's prison maybe that's not such a bad idea anyway (laughs) so what you're saying is at a time when people Mm -hmm. are talking about the deprivation of liberties as a Mm -hmm. reason to not perform basic social functions you've decided to say that (laughs) escape rooms are the real culprit to personal liberties and that all of i kind of like this we should divert all the anti-mask bullshit artists in the direction of escape rooms anyway my anti-riddle stance has now been ably made you may go on talking about your videos well i a riddle master will be (laughs) providing uh solutions as well uh so it will not just be me going i have a riddle for you it will actually be me working through puzzles and who's ever been a good person like just like in in stories and things who's ever been a good person that's setting the riddle no good person is like hey a good person will solve the riddles (laughs) it's always some creep in a cave being like hey do you want to leave well to be fair Gollum and Bilbo exchange riddles. So Bilbo is also giving riddles. Yeah, but that weird squiggly little freak starts it. Does he? Oh, no. <laughs> he does. He does. That's how he, he does. Yeah. It's okay. You're fine. We're, we're, we're fine here. We're all good <laughs> all here good. now. How are you? I really got to sit down and have a rewatch. <laughs> um, I don't know. The Sphinx. What are some other people that give riddles in fiction? Sphinx is sort of, oh, no, I guess they do push people off the cliff if they don't get it. It's like, they're sort of neutral. No, they definitely kill people. Okay. The Riddler. The Riddler sucks. Yeah, work through that. We're at the Riddler. Can you get above the Riddler in terms of good levels? You know what? Uh, I'm going to leave this as an exercise for the reader. If you're in our audience and you can think of a good riddle giver in fiction, uh, get in touch with us, today at gmail.com or on all the socials. Tweet at us. Mm-hmm. I am not going to regret that at all. For my five friends that listen, <laughs> just send me a message. Please tweet at us. I would love that. <laughs> this is good fun. Do we want to pick a theme song? Ooh, yes. Or do we want to do a news segment? Which do we want to do first? Uh, well, the news has its own theme. You know that. News, 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 news. So, you know, we're all good on themes for the news. So let's do the news and then we'll pick a theme song. That's true. That's true. Well, the, the news the news segment this episode will also include an interview segment. So that will be the So we should show. pick a song. We should pick a theme. Well, that's okay. What we can do is we can go to news. Uh, cut, cut, to, cut to the reporter. Cut to theme. No, this, this sucks. Okay, let's do a theme first. <laughs> We're so good at podcasting. We're so good at podcasting. Oh, man. In the course of my course, it's been really interesting because I'm studying science communication and obviously a lot of the people that come into it are from a science background, not from a communication background. Mm -hmm. So they're scientists learning to communicate, not communicators learning to science, which is obviously my background as a media dude. But it turns out that I've ended up offering podcast wisdom a little too much and now people think that I'm actually good at podcasting. Um, and that's why I'm really just hoping that they never listen to this so they can continue to suspend their disbelief. <laughs> this legitimately happened to me at work this week. Yeah. I, I did a thing. It was a very small thing. A thing? It was basically me going to my supervisor and being like, I don't know if this is right. <laughs> <laughs> and when I, I'm like, I was like, something's, something's rotten in Denmark, you know, something that is a bit weird here. And she took that, did a lot of background stuff with it. It led to some very nice things being said about me in, in some emails and stuff. And people are like, Darcy, I just wanted to check in with you about this thing because you're an expert on it. And, you know, how does that, how does that vibe with your stuff? What's going on now? And I'm like, <laughs> oh, no, you've widely overestimated. And I'm like torn because – my little inner feminist voice is like, yo, this is just imposter syndrome. You've got this. And another part of me is screaming, we do not have this. We didn't actually do this one. We did a small part at the beginning, which was important. I'm very happy that I did that. But the rest, oh, no, 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 no. no. You should continue to talk to the, the, the lady that did the other stuff. She's very wise is the thing. Well, that's good. I'm glad. Yeah. I'm glad she's wise. I'm glad there's a wise person around. Oh, I'm tempted by yes, we have no bananas because we've talked about it a few times. 
Yeah, man. Hit me up with the no bananas. Okay. Stay. I will copy that link. We're so good at podcasting. We're so good at podcasting. <laughs> This is immediately great. <laughs> what if they don't have the lyrics? What if they never explain the title? Oh no, we'll get there. Okay, maybe this is the instrument. We are now 48 seconds into Yes, We Have No Bananas. Some of them have long intros. <laughs> that is true. Fantastic. It's not often you hear a song with the word scallions in it, is it there? It's true. <laughs> so, uh, what this person is doing with their voice? We have an all banana. I would say that it sounds racist, but I don't know where for. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's like vaguely evocative of somewhere, probably. I yeah. guess. <laughs> yes, we have no bananas. But where? Where is that? What's that place? Justin, did you do hate crime? Like what what's going on? I don't know, did I? Like, Schroding is hate crime. <laughs> if you have to know what the hate crime was. Isn't that great? Uh, Tracy Jordan line in 30 Rock was like, I have learned the word black in every single language so I can tell when people are being racist. <laughs> <laughs> Look, uh, please uh, get on Twitter, uh, jump on our social media, tell us why that's racist. <laughs> <laughs> if it's not, we're happy to be proven wrong. Yeah, no, I'm really happy. Uh, if yeah, if, if yes, <laughs> we, we have no bananas. If we didn't, if we Honestly, didn't do a racism just then, I love it as a sales pitch where you're like, yes, we have no bananas because someone's like, oh, oh, cool, and then they just like list enough other stuff you can get, and I'm like, well, maybe I do need scallions. I don't know my own mind. And you're like, oh shit, came out with all these vegetables, but I have no bananas, which is what I went in there to get. It's like a trip to Kmart. Do you want to explain that analogy? Do you not go into Kmart with like, oh, I just need like a like a whisk or something? You know, you just go into Kmart and you're like, I just need this one thing, like a set of glasses or, you know, like a cheap pair of headphones or something. I just need to do these three things. Well, once you're in Kmart, the list starts growing where you're like, well, that's a cute top. I do need this fake plant. Green is a color that helps people concentrate and it looks so cute and... We'd be like officey, but like warm, you know. And then you have fourteen things. You're like, why do I need this? It's just like a, a, a hexagonal prism, but it's gold, and I need it, and I don't know why. And then it's too late. You've already bought it. You're in your car. You're going home with your hexagonal prism. Well, sorry to take you from your other running theme of the show, which is advertising random products. <laughs> <laughs> just... Do you do you need a, a hexagonal prism? <laughs> I do, I do need it uh, desperately. Yeah, do you do you already have like a like a triangular prism and you're like, mm, I've probably got enough prisms. That's what you that's what they all think. And then they walk in those dreaded doors and you're like hexagons are really in this summer, you know? It's the thing. I have no <laughs> absolutely no way of continuing this bit. <laughs> You just list of shapes, I'd be happy because I was so overjoyed in the middle of my sentence and I went, hexagonal prism, that's the thing. Look, you did great. You did great here. You you, you teed me <laughs> yeah, up nicely and I swung and to, missed. To what, we were, what were we talking about? You know what I did? I didn't swing and miss. I let it go past and it was a strike, but I thought I was going to get walked because you were going to run out of steam. So uh, that's embarrassing for it's an me. Elaborate baseball message. But luckily, there. the baseball <laughs> metaphor has brought us brought us straight home. It's a um, home run, Justin. It was right there. Take me out to the ball game, indeed. Let's do the news. The news with that classic news theme. News, 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 news. 
you've kind of standardized the theme. You've actually stuck to a regular theme. I'd, I, I include it every show, and then I also include the theme we've got, but I feel like I should just make it a compilation of you doing that. If we ever end this podcast, I will request that you snip together all of my news, news, news bits <laughs> just to see how the tune changes, you know? Well, honestly, that that is a great segue because I did want to start this news segment mm-hmm. with a question, and it's a question we have discussed a little bit before, which is, how long do you think we're going to be doing this? Oh. This podcast and also the coronavirus. Oh, that was well done. <laughs> yeah, thank you. You did that and you, you weren't intending to and it's great. Because obviously I am curious about how long you want to keep doing this podcast. Do you want to keep doing this podcast? I'm liking yeah, it. Yeah, it's fun. But also... Also, it's very useful in terms of when people ask me if I have a hobby. I didn't realise technically I can count this as a hobby. This is a hobby? This is my exactly. job. <laughs> you bastard. <laughs> I still have to have hobbies. I could have been making this my hobby the whole time. You understand. When people, like, I'm back on the dating apps and it's a real, it's a real trying out hinge. Have you been using this on your dating? No, but I was complaining the other night. Well, last night. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. complaining because I was like, guys, it's really awkward. If someone on a dating app wants to get to know you, they might ask you what your hobbies are. And I don't really have hobbies per se. I have people I see and TV shows I watch. Yeah, That's yeah. about it, you know? <laughs> There's no third part of my life where I'm like, oh, actually, I'm a secret fencing master. You know, I go diving off the Maldives every summer. No, there's no hobbies here. But you, you make a podcast. That is true. I do make a podcast. I pointed that out and I was like, oh, dip. I can do, use that to pretend I'm interesting. Nailed it. For those tuning in from Darcy's Hinge profile, uh, hey there. She's a real catch. Uh, (laughs) Just uh, Don't trust her because she lies a lot about having hobbies, you know? Ignore the rest of this podcast. She's a real catch and (laughs) it's great. It's great. Ignore the fun, scintillating conversations I have with my dear friend Justin. Ignore the potential racism. <laughs> that especially <laughs> we, we like I don't I don't ignore know. our theme song. <laughs> it always ends up racist, but that's just because of the time it was made in. I guess, yeah. It was it's because it's the past. And we fixed racism, it's gone now. Don't worry about it. Yeah. What a relief. <laughs> so So how long will we keep doing this podcast? I sure hope nothing happens later in this podcast to contradict that. Maybe in the interview segment. Um, (laughs) Foreshadowing. But yeah, so there's, apart from the question of how long you want to keep doing the podcast, there's also the question of how long the coronavirus will last, how long we can actually continue doing a lockdown podcast. Darcy, I'm going to throw this to you, and it's okay, I've got some stats and things to back it up, but when would you be confident that COVID-19 will no longer affect your life? If you just had to, like, pick a point in the future. Like, financially? We got, we got maybe 30 years before we get back on, on like any normal footing, like financially speaking. I don't know about the virus itself impacting the day to day, but. I don't know in what context this was, this was asked. This is a good point. I think it's talking about specific direct impacts of COVID. Oh, yeah. So how long do you think you're going to have to be like thinking about it in your day to day life? At least another year. Okay. What do you got for me? What's what's the stats? Would you be surprised to hear that on the 28th of July, the Australian Bureau of Statistics reported that more than half of all Australians expect we'll be back to normal by the end of January 2021, the month that outsider candidate Jack Black will be sworn in as US president? You know what? No, focusing on the question. (laughs) I threw a curveball at you. That's another baseball thing. I wasn't expecting to do more baseball. (laughs) But yeah, so the majority I wouldn't, of... I wouldn't be surprised by that, to be honest, because, you know, like New Year, New Beginnings, you see a lot of the meme where you're like, oh, 2020, and you're like, oh, this is going to go on beyond that, though, right? We're not going to click over and it's going to be like, well, cleared that up. But I understand the impulse and gosh, I hope it happens. That would be real neat. Justin, do you have some stats that say that everything will be okay soon? Because that'd be so cool. So none of these stats are saying that things will be okay. These stats <laughs> these stats are based yep. entirely on 
what Australians think, ah, yeah. what Australians yeah. expect about mm-hmm. when life will return to normal. And it's pretty, it's pretty interesting. So the stats have been divided. I don't think they're divided in the original report, but in the article on The Guardian that I'm drawing from, um, there is a distinction between Victoria and the rest of Australia about when life will return to normal. And the really interesting thing is that it's actually fairly similar, despite the obviously dramatic differences between what Victoria is experiencing and what the rest of Australia is experiencing. So there's a big gap in the people that think life has already returned to normal. Only 1% of Victorians compared to 16% of the rest of Australians. But once you get past that 15% difference, Victoria and the rest of Australia, around 20% think it will be life will return to normal in up to three months. Around another 20% or 30% in Victoria believe it will be four to six months. So in those three categories, you've already extended beyond 50% of Australians. So what's really interesting when I look at this graph is that there are about 40 to 50% of people, both in Victoria and in the rest of Australia, that think life will return to normal in seven to 12 months, in more than a year, or life will never return to normal. Around 10% of all Australians believe that. That is a good point. Like, are we ever going to get out of the habit of washing our hands that thoroughly? Like, even years down the track, will we be like, oi, you, young blood, wash your hands. You never know what's going to happen. And someone will be like, oh, but we have a vaccine for COVID for like 17 years. Don't worry about it. And we'll still be like, shut the fuck up, wash your hands. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and this is the distinction, I guess, as well, that you're drawing with, like, it'll be 30 years sort of thing. Mm. Because... Yeah, certain ramifications I think we're going to see, you know, lasting a much longer time. I also think the study is potentially a little prejudicial by saying, you know, life has already returned to normal, then three-month period, another three-month period, then a six-month period, then infinitely more than a year, and then never. Like, those are weird segments. It'd be interesting if people were just simply given a piece of paper and were told to write a number on it. And some people wrote 30 years and some people wrote five minutes. That would be a really interesting thing. But I'm, I'm worried that it is a little bit like people have just picked the middle number. I don't know. So when do you personally feel like we might get back to some sort of normalcy? Oh, life's already returned to normal, Darcy. Don't you agree with 16% of Australians that life is basically fine now? Aren't they sweet? <laughs> what, are they, what are they doing in their day to day? My favourite part of this graph is that little bit of text down the bottom where it says the data excludes those who don't know or who say life has not changed at all. And surely that excludes everyone. Either life has not changed for you or you have no idea when it will return to normal. That's every person. So actually, this data is all bullshit. I kind of like, well, no, I don't like the idea, but there's like a hermit. There's a hermit who's like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Jared Leto style coming back from like a commune or something. And you're like, COVID, what's that? I mean, I'm sure there are a lot of people who live rurally who have not really experienced, like obviously it's, life is different, but it hasn't really changed the way they live a great deal. It is interesting you say that. I, I guess if you were like on a station, like proper isolated, Back home, they're aware. They're doing things. My nana is in uh, old folks' home. Yeah. Back home. So there's this constant update of, you know, what's going on, all the measures to keep them safe. It did, it did at the beginning, have a few grumbles when people didn't have, like, you need the flu vaccine before you can go in. Mum was having a bit of a time because she was like, oh, her sister came over to see her. It's a long drive. She's old. You know, obviously she's got the flu vaccine for all of these reasons. And I'm like, Mom, she's she she needs the paperwork. Yeah. <laughs> and yes, she does. She needs the paperwork, she needs the flu vaccine, she needs everything because fuck what is going on with the world right now, man. But yes, the idea that I guess if you were on a station and you already had you were going into town like once every month or so to get supplies, like yeah, your day to day is not gonna change that much because it's just you and some cattle. Maybe a shit where maybe some farmhands. I guess you could say life hasn't changed or or has already returned to normal because those are those are distinct categories here. Mm. But yeah, I, like I didn't think there was a correct answer to this until I saw that there was an option where people could say, "I don't know when life will return to normal," which is <laughs> like that's just yeah. That's, it turns out there's a correct answer on this poll, and <laughs> a lot of people didn't pick it. So that's um that's embarrassing for them. That's a real disappointment. It might be like. Um, I think it's like a sales thing or something. 
in Disneyland, it's really hard for you to see the beginning of the queue because they'll wind you like a snake. Like, so the line will always seem like it's moving. And that's to make sure that you always think that, you know, oh, it'll just be another five minutes. It'll be some sort of manageable amount of time that you can wait. So maybe our brains, like humans, aren't designed for long-term thinking. We're, you know... (laughs) It's like I'm probably bastardizing this, but um, there's a theory that every tech innovation that has ever been predicted has been predicted to happen in about 20 years' time. If you want to, like, just pick a tech innovation, when people have said, oh, yeah, we're going to have, you know, electric cars completely replacing petrol cars, oh, that'll happen in about 20 years. And it's been about 20 years for the past 20 years. So Mm. people's ability to predict the future is profoundly terrible. Mm. What I do think is really interesting about this is the way that it reflects, you know, the way that we talk about it, the way that we discuss it, and as well some of the government messaging around coronavirus, which leads us neatly to the interview that I have for us today. Hey, pull that up. I did such a good segue. (laughs) You You did so good. Would you mind introducing yourself for a podcast audience? Of course. I'm Ellen and I'm a psychology graduate. I'm not at all qualified for anything, but I've been reading a lot of articles around coronavirus. I've definitely been around listening to psych podcasts and I was within your house, so it was easy to interview me. That is true. (laughs) It is great. As a part of our ongoing series of I bring people onto the show to help me out while I'm very busy at the moment, (laughs) you have volunteered as tribute. I have. So I, I greatly appreciate that. What do you have for us today? Well, a lot. So buckle in. (laughs) <laughs> um, I wanted to, oh, good. yeah, I wanted to have yeah. a bit of a conversation about the messaging around coronavirus. So that involves the messaging that comes out through different channels, their usefulness, and then how people may digest that information in different ways. Yeah, cool. And hopefully that'll be interesting. Well, we'll see. I- I'm sure it will be. If it's not interesting, then it's not any worse than, you know, most of what we put to air. So that's okay. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. Of course, this ties into a lot of what we've talked about on the show. Yes. It's one of those things about psychology where um, it kind of relates to everything. Uh, even the KFC stuff. It's like that, you know, Great. super relevant. I've really been wanting to bring it straight back to KFC. <laughs> I didn't, not a week off for me. Oh, oh boy. (laughs) Just KFC 24-7. Let's do it. Let's go there. The craving has been pretty strong since you talked about it, so. Oh, no. (laughs) It's high in my priorities. That was not my intention. Anyway, Anyway, I'll kick off. Please do. Please do. One of the first papers to come out from the psychological community about COVID-19 was a rapid review by The Lancet, full title, The Psychological Impact of Quarantine and How to Reduce It, Rapid Review of the Evidence. So this came out in February, um, so prior to the declaration of coronavirus as a global pandemic, when it was just a burgeoning baby pandemic. (laughs) You made it sound adorable. Yeah, it was pretty cute. And then it was really bad. It was like a really bratty toddler. And you're like, oh, shit, I shouldn't have had this baby. From previous studies into quarantine, the authors discussed the negative psychological effects of isolation that have been reported previously, as well as offering advice to policymakers on how to mitigate negative effects. So in addition to ensuring basic food supplies and minimizing the quarantine length as much as is reasonable, the study emphasized that officials should clearly communicate with the public about what is happening and why, and to provide them with as much correct information as possible. People that are quarantined, which I am extrapolating to people that are under some form of isolation or social distancing requirements, they need to be able to understand their situation. And there are pretty obvious reasons for this. There's a lot of anxiety inherent in a disease outbreak. People can experience a lot of fear, but if people have an understanding of the virus in question, this can at least advise them of the risks of the virus in realistic terms and then what actions they can take to protect themselves, which can also improve their adherence to social distancing or to isolation. Essentially, accurate information that is viewed as reliable and is communicated clearly to the public is important because it encourages people towards the behaviours that keep them safe and allows them to manage risk, which leads me to the communication of the pandemic from the Australian government. One of the big issues raised in terms of the federal government's public messaging around COVID-19 is a mixed messages around different aspects of social distancing. 
These have inspired a sense of confusion and uncertainty around what can or should be done outside. During one particular statement on new coronavirus restrictions, our smart, well-meaning and fabulous Prime Minister Scott Morrison said, we want Australians to exercise their common sense in relation to social distancing behaviours. Now, you studied media. <laughs> I did. I, I don't think that I need to be the one to identify why that isn't an ideal message to put forward when you're advising a country around a pandemic. What do you think? I mean, I would say that, I mean, this this isn't so much media, it's philosophy. You can't have a common sense. <laughs> there we go. You can't have a common sense around a, a completely new idea. The mm -hmm. idea of being socially distant is, is something that was only being introduced at the time and something that needs to be communicated in clear terms by the prime minister who's setting it out. Hopefully, other information about social distancing was disseminated by people other than Scott Morrison, but <laughs> um, <laughs> but a lot of people would have been hearing it from him. And, and to say, well, exercise common sense, my common sense is the old normal rather than mm. the new normal. Yeah. Something that is said a ton about the situation is that we're all in it together. And to a degree, yes, it's incredibly important that everyone is on the same page if people don't know the actions they need to take to get tested, for instance, which is something that was identified by the Australian Medical Association, that's a very basic level of prevention and containment that isn't being met. And earlier in the days of the podcast, you talked about, I think it was Junkie's article that said something like, everyone is confused about the coronavirus. Yeah, yeah, I, I had a go at them. Um, yeah. And I didn't realise that that was actually going to be one of the better articles that came out. I realised yeah, I it's... probably shouldn't have had a go at Junkie for that. It's definitely not the only article of that particular kind. Yeah. Um, and it's pretty sad that there were some easy concepts early on that were being conveyed so confusingly that that was, you know, a recurring article. Yeah, yeah, it's it's certainly not on them to make Scott Morrison makes sense, I guess. <laughs> like th there's a political duty to say, hey, a political leader is being confusing. But also if yeah. your job is to make sure people aren't confused, just acknowledging everyone's confused is a bad... Anyway, I've had this rant once. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's all good. <laughs> um, so obviously it's a situation where there are a fair amount of things evolving and changing and it's hard to know the extent of what is happening in the in the beginning. Another aspect of this whole thing that makes it so complicated has been the speed at which things have changed and how important it is that people stay regularly updated with what's required of them and that this information is also released quickly. There's also the question of how to be transparent as a, as a public official when the situation and any kind of solution is such an unknown. Yeah. Um, but good leadership is really important in helping people feel safe and to feel confident in the policy changes that are involved in such a rapidly evolving situation. The coronavirus restrictions and guidelines need to be clear in people's minds to ensure compliance as well as to reduce that uncertainty and the feelings of anxiety. And um, when you're introducing new restrictions and saying just use common sense, that isn't, <laughs> that isn't the best way to go. So some components of good health communication are the avoidance of obfuscating, lying, or blame shifting. Blame shifting was evidenced in the, the Ruby Princess case, which, as you say it out loud, does sound like a romance novel. It's hard to avoid how much the Ruby Princess right. sounds like. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty much there. Good communication should also address weaknesses, such as the lack of testing kits and the lack of knowledge of, you know, what the virus is and how to handle it. But it should also clearly describe the plan of action. I feel like the, you might not like me for saying this, I feel like the Australian government did improve, um, although there is ongoing confusion because of the differences in stages between different states and territories, as you all know. At the very least, I felt reassured when the roadmap to recovery was introduced but maybe that's just me. <laughs> no, no, no. I have my own thoughts about the government in general, and it, it would be no. much as it is my job when I'm presented with 16 KFC ads to say, hey, these are the ones I don't like. Similarly, mm. when presented with a suite of government policies, it is incumbent on me to point out the things that I don't like about what they're doing. But this is an opportunity to say that 
I definitely think the government's messaging has improved. It certainly mm. couldn't have got a great deal worse than where they started off. But there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that they've done that is the roadmap to recovery seems like a good mm. plan. The national cabinet has been doing a really good job of universalizing messaging. Having stages at least sets up an idea of an action plan. Something that came up with the Lancet review was that people should be clearly advised of the duration that they can expect to remain in isolated conditions. So even if the dates change, I think having a projected time frame is a helpful thing to provide the public. In New Zealand, their stages of alert seem to be a bit more uh, comprehensive and clear, as well as being applicable across the, the whole country. But I don't know, they just seem to do things better in general. So maybe I'm biased. <laughs> well, you asked me ahead of time to prepare. I've prepared nothing for this apart from... <laughs> I have a couple of clips of politicians mainly uh, mm. addressing people around the coronavirus, and this might be a good opportunity to drop one of those in there. So I have... Now, which one of these should I pick? I think I will pick... So this is a video of Jacinta Ardern, the Prime Minister of New Zealand... Love her. ...announcing <laughs> the extension of the Level 4 lockdown. Over the past few weeks... I've often used my time at this podium to acknowledge the people on the front line. Today, I want to remember the people in New Zealand who have lost someone to COVID-19, or the many more who had the terror of almost losing someone. Throughout this pandemic, there have been individuals who I have tracked the progress of. I didn't know their names, but I knew their status. And I still get a phone call for every individual person that we lose to COVID-19 in New Zealand. We may be amongst a small number of countries where that is still able to happen, where the numbers we have lost have been small, but we cannot forget that every number is someone's father, someone's mum, a relative or a friend, and someone that we have all been united in an effort to protect and to save. And that is why we as a country took on the challenge of steering down COVID-19. Because we believed that decisive action, going hard and going early, gave us the very best chance of stamping out the virus. I'm not sure if I'll play the whole thing on the show, but basics of it, she's making an emotive uh, yes. appeal. She's yes. outlining some of the really personal and individual elements of it before yeah. announcing that this is why, ultimately announcing that this is why they will be extending the level four lockdown in New Zealand. It's a very personal way of communicating. And it also kind of situates her with everyone else. You know, she's on their level. She's getting the calls. She's able to understand how important it is for people's health and safety. It's sad. It's cool though. It's sad. Sorry to, yeah, drop, no, no, no. drop sad stuff. I mean, it's sad, but it, it's, yeah, she's also talking about how well they've been able to control it in the same vein. She's saying it's it's a horrible situation, but this is why we've done what we've done. Yeah, yeah. I, I think she's pointing to New Zealand's clear successes, but at the same time, mm. this is why I really wanted to drop this in here as well as because you mentioned New Zealand, because also she's acknowledging their successes and their failures and mm. the way that every individual failure is, is felt on a personal level. It establishes what the stakes are and establishing the stakes is a good way of encouraging people to engage with your public health policy. Do you have another video for me? I do, but we will come to that a little later because I would like to, I would like to hear more of your spiel and drop it at a choice moment. Oh, okay. So something that you brought up before is the use of the term social distancing. It's hard to believe now that there was a point where that word wasn't everywhere, but it wasn't a well-known concept when it was discussed first in relation to coronavirus, which is why you needed that supplementary information, you know, stay within this amount of space from someone or staying home will prevent the virus from spreading. It's clear instructions that need to be paired with the idea that each individual's actions are important. So an important aspect of public health messaging or communication, particularly in this pandemic, is balancing education, fear, and a warning 
that will effectively encourage the appropriate behaviours. As people, our attentional filter tends to orient towards threat or danger, which is part of what draws us to negative news. However, with greater awareness of the risks does come a reduction in attention, which can lead to a reduction in the sense of threat and a decrease in adherence to social distancing. I do believe that it's important that there is a reduction in fear, maintaining the same level of hypervigilance that we experienced at the start of the pandemic for months is very draining on a person's mind and body. I can only imagine how difficult it is in a place where the infection rates have been continuing to rise or are remaining very high. Um, South Australia feels like a weird pocket of safety at the moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but it's important that the risks of the threat continue to be reinforced and some have suggested that public messaging needs to be updated in different ways to encourage that ongoing attention. So having a bit of novelty and difference in there to spark attention again. It's obviously still important. There are increasing cases in Australia now that indicate that people have relaxed social distancing enough for community transmission to be happening. So it's important when using what is known as a fear appeal in messaging, there needs to be a balance of moderate fear arousal combined with a clear and attainable solution presented for the message to be persuasive and for people to be encouraged to act on the fear of coronavirus in responsible ways. Too much fear and you lose people. They might defensively avoid the news or conversation around the virus as it's too anxiety arousing. I think what we saw in Jacinda's case is that she was using some of that fear, but Obviously, she has previously presented a good solution to, to deal with it. Um, and it's not, you know, she's not fear-mongering. She's not ramping up people's fear. It's it's a reasonable level of fear for something that is affecting people, but not, hopefully, not so much that it's going to freak them out more than they already are. I have another video for you. Cool. Is it Trump? <laughs> is I'm it Trump? I'm sorry to do this to you. No. Oh, I haven't heard his voice in so long. For a good reason. Okay, three, two, one. Sorry. My fellow Americans, tonight I want to speak with you about our nation's unprecedented response to the coronavirus outbreak that started in China and is now spreading throughout the world. Today, the World Health Organization officially announced that this is a global pandemic. We have been in frequent contact with our allies, and we are marshalling the full power of the federal government and the private sector to protect the American people. This is the most aggressive and comprehensive effort to confront a foreign virus in modern history. I am confident that by counting and continuing to take these tough measures, we will significantly reduce the threat to our citizens and we will ultimately and expeditiously defeat this virus. From the beginning of time, nations and people have faced unforeseen challenges, including large-scale and very dangerous health threats. This is the way it always was and always will be. It only matters how you respond, and we are responding with great speed and professionalism. Our team is the best anywhere in the world. At the very start of the outbreak, we instituted sweeping travel restrictions on China and put in place the first federally mandated quarantine in over 50 years. We declared a public health emergency and issued the highest level of travel warning on other countries as the virus spread its horrible infection. And taking early, intense action, we have seen dramatically fewer cases of the virus in the United States that are now present in Europe. The European Union failed to take the same precautions and restrict travel from China and other hotspots. As a result, a large number of new clusters in the United States were seeded by travelers from Europe. So that's about as far as I'll make you go with that. Okay, all right. Honestly, it could have been worse. And that's what I wanted to ask you, Yeah. is what do you think he did well there? Do I think it went well there? Uh, what do you think? What do I think? He did well there. So obviously okay. this speech in particular was called out for a number of reasons because mm -hmm. it is a speech that is fear-mongering to some extent. Yes. He also introduces the idea of the foreign virus and repeatedly mm. talks about migrants bringing the virus, and I do want to address that. He does. He also disses other countries. <laughs> 
I mean, both of them, in both examples, they they talked about, you know, proudly about what they have done, which is good to set up. These are what we're doing to address the situation. Both of them also used kind of war metaphors, being on the front line and, and that sort of thing. But, you know, Trump has more of an aggressive air with everything. So war metaphors hit a bit harder than with Jacinta. Okay. Oh, he, he I think for himself... <laughs> This is, this is such a big caveat. I, I think that he used very clear statements at the start in terms of this is what happened, this is what happened, this is what happened, and in general didn't use a lot of jargon, which, you know, I, I'm giving him a lot of <laughs> credit. No, I'm, I'm asking you to give him credit and to find the spots mm. to give him credit. Yeah. I mean, one of the major criticisms of this speech is that it was written for him quite well, and then he, during the speech, went off the rails and completely ignored that script yeah yeah but it it starts off kind of okay hmm. where would you say uh i mean i've already highlighted a couple of points where i i don't yeah. love it but what would you say are the points that he starts to stray from effective public health messaging i think yeah the things you were talking about in terms of um encouraging fear when he goes off of explaining the details of what has happened in factual terms to take a more subjective lens of this is what I think about this country doing this. They're not doing this well. There's also a lot mm, that's that's going into a bit too much, but I think those things. No, go for it. Go for it. No, I was going to say, I, I would say that a lot of the things that he's saying that we have done are not things that he <laughs> would have chosen to have done necessarily, but that's just, you know, that that's about him as a person. That's not about his messaging. I, I think that's reasonable to bring into it. What would you say is the difference between the emotive appeal that he is making there and the emotive appeal that Jacinda Ardern is making. I mean, obviously, we've given it a month. Jacinda Ardern mm -hmm. is delivering her statement a month later. Mm -hmm. You know, like, it, it is a bit unfair to compare the two because he should be fear-mongering a little bit more. But Yeah, he, yeah, considering the situation, I think that he was very light on what is required of people. Right, okay. So in terms of those three requirements you talked about, you've got the emotional appeal, the introduction of the facts of the matter, and then what you should do about it. He's dropping some some facts. He's saying, this is what He's we've done. Yeah. This is what's happened around the world. Yeah. He's brought in some emotion. He's saying, this is scary and foreign. Um, and mm. <laughs> which I don't love, but is no. uh, emotional, I guess. Mm. I mean, y you could imagine a more effective appeal that is saying, let's deal with this horrible foreign virus, I yeah, guess, that may get people to act better. I don't know. It's, it's also hard considering how inclined he is towards closing things down and towards, in, in terms of, you know, travel and that sort of thing he was always going to be on the side of we've cut ourselves off and and that's a good thing um right so and other other people who were allowed to to roam have done this thing but it, it you know at no stage there was it talking about it's not about the social distancing it's not about the actual things that people are doing that are causing the transmission of the virus it's just these are the the big things that are implemented that aren't working it's yeah anyway so what you're kind of saying there is that Jacinta Ardern is acknowledging things that are different from normal, and you might actually say that for Trump, saying we're going to close the borders as mm. his first policy action isn't actually very different to what he normally might say. No, that's, yeah, um, exactly. And therefore yeah. is not necessarily conveying we're doing different things because this is a very serious matter because mm. he just likes closing borders. That's kind of his whole shtick. I think the timing of those two videos is, is also, you know, obviously important. But yeah. like you said, considering the timing of them, he should be encouraging a lot more practical actions than he is. Jacinta also didn't talk a lot about what is required, but that's because at that point, people already knew what was required. They were already doing it. I do have another video, which is Jacinda speaking literally on the same day as Trump, Ooh. but it is not in the context of a press conference. So I'll... Drop that in at some point, but yeah. I expect that we will come to it naturally in the flow of conversation. So I want to let you maybe hopefully take us there. Sure. 
So as well as fear appeals and emotive messaging, there's the question of whether the messaging is appropriate to those who are receiving it. The information campaigns and mass messaging texts, they're good for getting across the basic information that everyone needs, as long as they're across many platforms, so online and in public. It's harder to ascertain whether the Australian government is doing a good job of targeting information to the audience who need to hear the message more. Representatives of migrant communities, for instance, have been discussing the need for policies and programs to focus on migrants and refugees since the early days of the pandemic due to that language barrier in the communication of important health information. Due to the nature of the virus, rapidly changing information has been disseminated by the Australian government in blanket statements, which can be difficult for people of culturally and linguistically diverse communities to keep up with. One review in these communities found that, as you would expect, individuals tended to be more confused about the situation and they had a greater reliance on non-official sources of information. So it's important that people have access to correct and appropriate information. The translations of COVID-19 health information from the Department of Health have been criticised for communicating at a formal or advanced literacy level that is not entirely accessible. So that's one area where, you know, you, you need the information to be reaching them on a level where they can actually access it. That's really interesting. So you're saying that the translations, if, if it's been translated into Malay, I don't know, I'm just picking a language. I, I think, it, sorry, I think it said that they it was um, translated into 20 different languages and then translators looked at the information and they're like, some of this can only be read at the university level. When was this? When? Because surely those translators should be going, well, and here's the language you should be using, right? Well, that's the thing. I think some of that came up. There was a report that I think was, I don't have this on my notes, but I think it came out in March that there was a report that identified specifically that this language barrier could cause an issue with these communities because, as I've said, they're going to get information from other sources if they can't get information from government officials that they understand. And And then later, especially in relation to the situation in Melbourne around the lockdowns in buildings with migrant people, they talked about how that information from the Department of Health was not at the right level. Right. So this is something that was addressed in March and then again in July. It's it's come up later. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So this is something that you would have thought they'd have addressed in four months. Yes. But they yep. didn't. Okay. That's more concerning if it was raised mm. in March. And, and I mean, it, it shows an inattentiveness considering that we had a drop in cases where those sorts of, like you can understand why in the first weeks of March when a lot of things were happening, maybe that's not the first thing that, I mean, yeah, you, you, would, just... you would hope that it would be something they would get to eventually, but mm. you'd hope it kind of filters through because they're just kind of going for a scattergun mass appeal in the early days. Yeah. But yeah, four months is... Yeah. That's rubbish. Yeah, it's not great. That's really bad. <laughs> I Sorry, agree, I don't have more to say. Uh, this no. Is, that's shithouse, um, no. actually. And it's, it's, it's really... It's, it's sad. Yeah, yeah. In order for this sort of crucial health information about the coronavirus to be communicated on a large scale, government officials do sort of need to act as a conduit for medical professionals, particularly to disseminate information based on scientific evidence, as well as to translate this evidence to, to language that lay people can understand. Literally, in some cases. <laughs> yeah. Early on in the pandemic, there were missteps by key health authorities who seemed to be underestimating the seriousness of the virus. I think this this happened with a lot of people. This is the danger of trying to communicate when having such an unknown thing going on. And it's been suggested that this may have set things off on the wrong foot and legitimised the portrayal of science as an inadequate way to resolve the situation. But ultimately, experts making mistakes are still the experts. Yeah. Um, which leads me to a mini tangent that isn't just in relation to coronavirus. Go for it. Um, But there is... Rant, 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 mini rant. (laughs) It is somewhat related, just not exclusively to coronavirus. So there is an increasing need for people to be informed of how to identify misinformation, um, particularly digitally. So having that media or digital literacy as well as health literacy. And if you will allow me to plug another podcast here or... If you want to cut it out, that's fine. How dare you? (laughs) 
I'd recommend the recent episodes of Sawbones around health literacy and health data and the issues that are involved in unpacking scientific information as a layperson, because they kind of talk about how to look at science data as a person that isn't involved in the health or science fields. If you would like to listen to a different Justin Mack talk to his partner as the eldest of three brothers and a podcaster. Wait, is, this not, is that Justin? Yeah. <laughs> Travis. Travis is the middleest brother. I know. So if you would like to hear your oldest brother, Justin Mc, after yeah. this, speaking yeah. to his partner about health literacy, go mm-hmm. to go listen to Sawbones. Until then, I'm your oldest brother, Justin MacArthur. She's a lot more eloquent and um, well-informed than I am, so I would go there. I mean, yes, um, but you're doing great. <laughs> cool. Um, Both things are true. Professor Mark Andreevich, expert in social media, has stated the need for improvements to people's health literacy and to their ability to identify misinformation campaigns, um, particularly as the saturated and rapidly changing state of contemporary media makes it difficult for the government to debunk misinformation campaigns as they are occurring. So there needs to be that interference stage where people are able to first recognise this is misinformation and then when it comes up, they don't pay attention to it. So whether or not people receive accurate information around coronavirus, it all depends on whether they understand it and how well it is presented to them. Some basic pointers for critical reading that maybe the audience would want to know are to consider the source and the source's source, ask what the article seems to be trying to achieve and to check your own biases. But ultimately, science communicators need to make sure they are reaching others outside of the realm of the scientific community through a variety of platforms And this involves minimising that jargon. And listening to podcasts. Uh, Yeah. That's one of them, right? That's one of the things they said. I think it's, I think it's good. (laughs) Your education so relevant right now. How good. It's fantastic. That is actually part one of an interview. So we actually do have a a second part coming next week, but I'm very pleased with how that turned out. It was, it's very nice. And thank you to Ellen for coming on the show. She's very wise. I mean, I'm not sure that it's a good interview. I think it's just that she is smart and good. Yes. Yes, she is. It was uh, well communicated. I'm saying that purely professionally speaking. No biases. No biases. Justin, you, your very lovely girlfriend told me that I have to check the author and the author's author and where you want, wanting to be achieving there. And you know what? Thank you, little. Thank you. Thank you. You got some biases. I can't think of any, but if I spot any, I'll let you know. Oh, well, I'll trust that. I'll trust that then. That seems fine. No, <laughs> no more worries about that. <laughs> I'll fix it in post. If there's any biases, don't worry. I'll edit them out. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, yes, it's all very interesting, isn't it? I like that all of the bus stops now have got social distancing things or Beyond Blue on them. They're like, hey, you sad? You're washing your hands? I am sad and I am washing my hands. Thank you, bus Thank you. The the bus has got my back. The bus is uh, teaching me some valuable lessons at the moment because some of South Australia is like, it's probably all good now. And uh, teaching you to have that very good fuck politeness as my favourite murder would tell us. So when there is an entire bus and the person sits in the seat in front of you, like not socially distancing at all, you have to go, well, I'm going to be the weirdo that moves, I guess, because I don't want you there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think I think doing away with social graces for their own sake has been a really interesting consequence. That's a thing we didn't do last week on the show. We didn't talk about things that we think are going to succeed or go out the window. Based on the coronavirus, we didn't touch on it in the KFC app. Well, I think, I think I fairly convincingly explained how KFC was going to dominate forever and ever and ever. We should all eat some chicken. I'm so hungry. (laughs) Justin, what do you think will thrive in the new COVID world that we exist in? You mean apart from KFC? Apart from my beloved. Mm -hmm. Your beloved. It's that on my iPad, man. One of the things we've seen in the past couple of weeks that we haven't talked about a great deal is the sudden upswing in mask manufacturing. Mm -hmm. We talked last time on the show about how it's now illegal to go out without a mask in Victoria. Mm -hmm. That is a pretty big change. And Victoria has adapted in a way only Victoria could by making as many artisanal, you know, (laughs) designer bespoke intricate masks because it's victoria and um do you want to know something a little bit cute go for it go for it so my mom all the way out in the sticks is like darcy needs a mask i'm like well 
Aww. won't say no. Yeah. She said that Darcy needs a mask because advertising on the internet has got her so good. I've got a mask coming to me, Justin, and that mask has a quote from Pride and Prejudice on it because my mom's so, adorable. That's so damn good. And very easily marketed too. <laughs> Must be in want of a mask. She's like, you need that. And I'm like, yes, I do for a variety of reasons. But yes, artisanal masks. Love it. I I'm so glad that she that she responded like that. I I too have some masks in my in my lovely home that are artisanal and bespoke and lovely. I think that it's a natural intersection of the home crafts and stuff. It's nice that we were already talking about having happened. A super dark sign of the apocalypse that uh, like spotlight and material shops are selling out. Yeah. But also it means that people are doing crafts at home, <laughs> which is, if we're going to look at the paper thin sparkly lining on this very dark cloud, how good, craft. I suppose we could have told from like Mad Max that there was going to be a lot more homemade attire in the apocalypse. I just hadn't thought to use it as an indicator that things were going south. One year. This was before Fury Road had come out, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> One yeah. year. Me and my friends watched all of the Mad Maxes in a row. We had had a few beverages, so I just want you to picture this because we were all in one double bed, three of us, and um, two of my mates had passed out. This is the only time that I have ever stayed awake and, and like cognizant, you know, after them because I was watching the scene with Thunderdome and yelling, Thunderdome, Thunderdome, which did not wake either of them up. How? I know, right? It's very impressive. We'd, we'd had a long weekend is the thing. But this led to cut to Halloween and we're like, well, we know exactly who we're going to go to as Halloween. We're going to go as those weird bikey evil dudes from the second Mad Max movie, obviously. Obviously. Thunderdome. Which, which did lead to a lot of crafting. We had to get spray paint. We had to get a bunch of, like, um, safety pins. We had to find my old crimper, or my friend's old crimper, to make me have the most 90s fro a white woman could ever do. Oh, no. Which I forgot that I had when I went to pick up booze for the party. The checkout guy is like, bloop, bloop, looks up and is like, oh. Oh, it's one of those parties. <laughs> yeah, hello. <laughs> I've crimped my hair. All of it. Just all of it. That's, oh. a, that's a good look, I think, so for So Mad you. Max does lead to crafting is the thing. An important lesson. So I guess, yeah, Mad Max leads to crafting, and we've now learnt that the apocalypse leads to crafting. So Mad Max is an accurate representation in yet another way. Mm-hmm. Down with the patriarchy. We should really watch uh, Mad Max. Fury Road, I know, right? For this podcast. I would like that because <laughs> one of the ideas that I had a while ago was that we should watch like pandemic movies. And I feel like watching pandemic movies is too close to the bone. But yeah, we could no. watch. There was definitely an uptick. Netflix did a thing and it's like, hey, everybody's watching Contagion. Are you okay? Everyone's like, no. Where have you been? No, <laughs> we're not okay. We're using you so much right now. Do you think everything's okay? This is a coping mechanism. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think Mad Max is a good, like, slightly distant because maybe we can find, like, a top five tips. I think the thing is you need apocalypses that are worse than what we're currently experiencing. Okay. I like that. So you've already watched Waterworld, <laughs> demonstrably worse than what we're experiencing right that's now. That's true. That's true. Waterworld is worse in many senses. And you've seen the Wild Wild West, which that's is... That's true. That's apocalyptic as well. Of apocalyptic i mean <laughs> if those mechanical spiders got out who knows what would have happened that's true actually he's he's really going for an apocalypse he's not going for a low level takeover of the world is he no he's coming for the he's going for straight for the top he's trying to turn america into a failed state and that would be so weird right now super dark <laughs> this one has been particularly dark it's appropriate because everything's terrible but like not everything i think not that... everything that's what we keep coming back to and I think the that industry we're excited about is Muscraft. Well, I think I think it's cool. I think I no, let me rephrase. I know that at some point if shit gets real in South Australia, I'm gonna make a mask out of a sock. Because I've seen multiple videos on it. Oh it's a yeah. Pretty good way to do it. People have been doing that on TikTok. And I am very lazy, so 
and I'm a prominent TikTok celebrity. So between us, we'll be able to get through it. First time someone sent me a TikTok link. This is how old I am, by the way. Someone was like, hey, have you heard of TikTok? And I'm like, that's the noise of clock makes. <laughs> Classic. What a good joke. They sent me a link. And I looked up and 45 minutes had passed. <laughs> I'm like, oh no. <laughs> That's, no, that is the effect that TikTok has. That's a bad effect. We have a Neptune Today TikTok at Neptune Today Mag. I take it all back. TikTok's the best app I've ever experienced. It's glorious. I think so, yeah. Um, and you can support us by jumping on our Patreon to make a third TikTok video. <laughs> Ticking and talking. TikToking away. If we get a new Patreon subscriber this week, I will make a new TikTok video. <laughs> That is a promise. Or you should do one of the dances. I'm absolutely not doing one of the the dances. The dances haven't been the focus of TikTok for a year. Yeah, I'm I'm very old, but you could consider it retro. That is true. Remember at the beginning of quarantine, it was just a bunch of celebrities doing it, but everyone was like, oh, look, that dance is cute and all, but show me your fucking mansion. Oh, quarantine blues. How? Your house is bigger than anything. I want a mansion and I feel like TikTok is the route to a mansion because lots of the successful videos on TikTok are in mansions. So I assume that if I just do good TikToks long enough, yeah, exactly. I'll just get a mansion of my own. Um, So that'd be cool. Um, Until then, Mm -hmm. this has been a lovely episode of a podcast. We'll have another chat with Ellen next week. We did most of the things. Like this was a this was a like a return to form. It's nice. I mean form is questionable, but yeah, we 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 almost, have a loose form. We sort of have a form. It's like a show. I feel like I stayed on track and you stayed on track and we all you know, we got there in the end. We all knuckled down and we did it. Just after the chaos of the KFC episode. It's nice to return to, you know, your roots. Absolutely. Well this show is about providing structure for people fundamentally. <laughs> That's what I've always said on another tangent. I definitely want everyone to build their life around the regularity of this podcast, just as we move to a format where we're not publishing every week. Key is the thing. My friend uh, made it over from Victoria before the borders closed and she quarantined appropriately. And I was like, hey, you can catch up on our episodes. And then I realized we hadn't released one. And I'm like, hey. You can do something else, though. You're pretty. Bye. <laughs> I mean, if we don't have new episodes, uh, like, just message me and I'll send you a video of the other things that I'm You're doing. doing TikTok dancing, right? Yeah, of me yeah, doing a TikTok yeah. dance. Any, you know any... what? We did figure out <laughs> the thing that I was sending her. For... I yeah. tried to do it every day, but I managed about three. It was just egg videos. It's just videos of people cooking eggs different ways on repeat. I hate this. I know. Darcy, I'm not an egg person. (laughs) I don't even want to eat these egg recipes by the end of it. But I'm like, I can't stop watching egg hacks. So I would send her an egg (laughs) hack every morning. Be like, hey, do you want to see six six ways you can make cloudy eggs? Woo! Anyway, we were wrapping up. We were. Yeah, do you want to end this? It was great talking to you, Justin. I can't wait to see you in like, what is it, like two more hours? Yeah, let's go get chicken. Oh my god, guys, we're going to go get chicken, but it's going to be fancy chicken. It's going to yeah. be swanky. Shout out to Nola. Please give us free shit because we mentioned you on our one good episode. <laughs> Wait, one last thing before we go. You oh, please how- do. <laughs> last week, last week, wherever it was, we were talking about the, um, this is another KFC thing, I'm so sorry. Oh god, Darcy. <laughs> we were talking about the paper it was sitting on and whether or not, like, the fancy... Like, it was, like, black and white paper, and it looked a little bit like, ooh, KFC gone artisanal. Yeah. So it turns out, normal packaging at most places, but there's a new one in Rundle Mall that has the aesthetic, where they're like, oh, don't, don't mind us, we're just, you know, your local chicken shop. Ooh, artisanal, come in. Ooh, it's all black and white, and we're fancy. What? Yes, yes. And I believe that I saw someone exiting, and it had the fancy wrapping. It's like the KFC flagship. You, or something. No, that's that's monstrous. Okay, we'll 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 have to talk about this. I had next to share week. that with you. Anyway, that, I mean, we, yes, we have to. This is chat. a deep dive. So, sorry, Ellen, we're getting rid of the second segment. We're talking about this for the whole next episode. Cancel that. We've got to Cancel. More. It's already about recorded. What the but... fuck is going on with KFC? <laughs> <laughs> All right, buddy. We'll catch you later. See you. For and chicken. bye, our adoring fans. <laughs> Goodbye. Thank you for putting up with us once again. <laughs> Farewell, farewell.
Oh, oh man. We stopped recording like 45 minutes ago. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. You've been listening to Radio Lockdown, a Neptune podcast.